Hi, my name is Rochelle Grow, and I'm obsessed with all things business, especially networking. Oftentimes, the opportunities that we have in business and even personally comes down to who we know. I love helping people build a thriving network with genuine people, even if they are new to the game, afraid to say the wrong thing, or need a reminder to just do it. I'm a California transplant living in Northern England who's taken her business chops from California to New York and now the US to the UK. I work from home and run two businesses. No matter if you're a networking beginner or not, I can teach you the step-by-step behind the scenes secrets to building a network that you love. Pop in your earbuds and get ready to be encouraged and have some fun while you learn. This is Allergic to Small Talk by Cut Class. Hey there, and welcome back to the Allergic to Small Talk podcast. You can catch me here, or you can say what's up to me on my Insta page at It's Row Grow. All right, y'all, let's hop into today's episode. Have you ever met someone that you were totally drawn to? Not in the dating sense, but someone that absolutely pulled you into their being simply by just being them? Maybe you couldn't quite articulate what drew you into them, but you just knew they were your people. But where do you take that connection and what do you do with it? Well, sometimes you do nothing. I recently interviewed my friend James West and he co-owns Only Networking Group with his wonderful wife, Kelly. And during our interview, he used an analogy of a tree to talk about networking and building relationships. Follow me on this one. He said, picture yourself as a tree and all the branches coming out of the top of you represent your network. Some branches are long and strong because you've spent a lot of time on them. Some are shorter than others. And well, some maybe never really grew because you tried to sell to them too quickly. And because you didn't get a return on that relationship, you immediately chopped it off. But you should never chop off a branch because one day you never know where those branches may take you. And that leads me into our guest for today's show. Her name is Allison Qualter. I first met Allison at Flywheel when I lived in New York. Allison stood out to me because she has a radiant smile and she's beyond kind. She would always come into our studio with her good friend, Charles. When I would see Allison, I was so fascinated by her. She came into our studio and took classes midday with her friend, talked about amazing trips she had been on with her best friend and business partner. Once a year, she and her bestie go to the airport with no plan in place, pick a country to travel to, and then go. Isn't that cool? And on another visit, she shared with me that she and her friend Charles went on an epic journey, guiding a blind man all the way through the Grand Canyon. I mean, how couldn't someone be drawn to her, right? I didn't know what I was seeking from Allison, but all I knew is that I wanted her to be my friend and I wanted to create something with her. And now here we are five years later. While this is only a podcast episode that we're creating, it really speaks to the fact that you should always ground your networking and friendship first. Creating connections doesn't have to be about selling. It can be about collaboration. I asked Allison to come on the show today because she has an awesome philosophy when it comes to business in life. I know what she shares today will not only help you on your networking journey, but whatever you're getting up to in your life. Allison is the founder of Press Play on Life, a coaching program focused on helping people to live more mindfully and joyfully and gain clarity in their personal and professional development. Allison is a devoted mother of twin girls and a boy. In 2007, she co-founded Appleseeds, an early childhood play space with three locations in New York City 
And in 2010, she co-founded Songs for Seeds, a children's music program focused on early childhood learning through live music with over 25 franchises across the U.S. She began her career in broadcast journalism at Dateline NBC News. After producing a story on women living under the Taliban regime in Afghanistan, she wanted to be on the other side of the camera, working with women and children in similar circumstances. She left to receive her master's degree at the Princeton School of International Affairs and then worked in communications at the U.S. Fund for UNICEF. She then served under UNICEF's executive director, Carol Bellamy, as co-chair of the United Nations Interagency Task Force on Sports and Play for Development and co-wrote a report for the U.N. Secretary General, Kofi Annan, supporting a subsequent U.N. General Assembly resolution. Allison spent five years at UNICEF headquarters creating and managing a global program in sports and play for development. Allison is also a co-founder of the nonprofit Team C Possibilities and served as a guide to the very first blind athlete to run across the Grand Canyon and back in one day. Team C Possibilities then went on to make history on five continents in five years, raising money for the blind and vision impaired and launching a global scholarship program. Allison is an IPAC certified coach with energy leadership training. She's also a certified yoga teacher, EFT trained, and enjoys a daily handstand, literally and metaphorically. She also has traveled to over 75 countries. I won't let you wait any longer for this powerhouse. Let's meet Allison. Hey, Allison, welcome to the show. Hi, Rochelle. Thank you so much for that introduction. Not just the very long and boring bio, but the fact of how we met and really focusing on holding on to the energy when you meet people that you connect with. I really, I love that. And I remember yeah. you smiling behind the front desk <laughs> of Flywheel when I'd walk in, usually late. <laughs> yes, usually late, but always smiling. I loved it. <laughs> so I gave you an introduction, but I always like when my guests uh, speak to my listeners in their own words. When people say, hey, Allison, tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you say? I think I always start with motherhood. I think I define myself by in the fact that I brought twin 16-year-old girls into this world and an 11-year-old boy who really are like the sort of the center pole of my life in the sense that a lot of what I do revolves around my connection with them. But I also, I would say I'm a content person who looks for positivity in people. I have a lot of friends and close to my family. And then I work I work too, I guess. Yeah, I start with like my relationships as my most important place Love to describe it. myself. Thank you. Okay. So Allison, when we were prepping for this episode, I mentioned the area where people get stuck the most when it comes to networking is really like their mindset around networking. Also, business owners know that networking is really good for their business, but some just don't really do it or they dread it. And the reason why I really wanted to bring you on the show is because I love your philosophy where you like to bring fun and freedom to the area of people's lives where they feel stuck. So I thought we could talk about what this means and how people can use this when they're networking or really any area where they can't seem to get movement. So my first question for you is, where does press play on life come from? Well, press play on life is sort of a second chapter of something that used to be called soul inversion. And mm, soul okay. inversion was intended to be inverting your soul. In other words, the handstands that you mentioned earlier, I do a lot of handstands. And I believe that if you sort of flip your perspective, 
physically enhanced and you see things in a new way, we can also do that energetically and mentally or intellectually on a problem that we're facing. And if you flip it or see it or turn it around, you may be able to approach that problem differently. So that's sort of the beginning of press play. I started doing it sort of casually as a side hustle for my business you mentioned. And then after COVID, I decided to go full force and blow it out into most of what I do now. It's a six week live workshop. So about 10 to 15 people get together on Zoom once a week with me for six weeks only. And I have a curriculum that takes them through soul care or self-care, I guess people would call it. Usually they get started or revive their meditation practice. We do a lot of checking on sort of mind-body alignment. So a lot of it sort of focusing on their own way they move and exercise. But a lot of it is really focused on gaining clarity Mm. in their path. So for some people, it's professional in what they want to do for their career. But inevitably it ends up being personal right and so it's really getting clear on what are the relationships that are holding me back from the flight i'm meant to take or what are the things that i longed for as a kid or when i was younger that i'm not doing because societal expectations or parental expectations or partner expectations how can i get unstuck from this place that is usually just the chains holding me in expectations and move forward. And so I sort of help them do that through a variety of weeks and of curriculum. It's really fun, quizzes and questions and group work. And it ends up being really, it's my favorite hour of the week for sure. Oh, I love it. I love to do my research before I bring guests on. And I really was drawn to one of your Instagram lives. And you were talking about how we can use our ego and also how our ego can sometimes work against us. Can you just talk about the difference between someone's ego and their soul and how can it work for us and against us? I like the idea of the ego and the soul because they're easy sort of words to wrap around, but maybe you could look at the ego as being sort of the achiever side of ourselves that begins usually when we're younger. And it's sometimes from parents who expect certain things from us or you know, friendships we form, but often it comes from inside ourselves. We're really hard on ourselves in general, and most people are. And the idea that, you know, I'm not good enough, or I need to get here, I need to get there. We sort of set these markers. And usually it's the ego that's driving us, and and not in a necessarily bad way, because we need our ego, right? We need to move ahead, we need to achieve, we need to accomplish. But I think you get to a certain point in your life, and for some people, they call it a midlife crisis, and (laughs) I like to call it a midlife enlightenment where there's something else pulling you and it's not necessarily based in achievement and what might be on the surface, the successes of a diploma, a job, you know, the perfect home, the car, it's more about something that just brings you joy for the sake of doing it. And this is where I like to explore with people in my work because it's really, I call it, you know, the ego is really allowed, but the soul, the soul, while it's much quieter, is more insistent. And I think it, for some people, when they feel the longing of something, that there must be more than this, or that they feel like so many people, and I, I was there right after I turned 40, I had this feeling too, which is why I can relate to it so well. I had a, a successful business. I had three kids. You know, I was living in New York City. I was living my best life. I had all these friends. But I just felt like there was something missing. And ultimately, for me, what was missing was this sort of connection to my physical self. So my inner athlete was longing to come out. Like everything that was for myself was was going on the cutting room floor because I was giving up everything for my business and my kids. And a lot of working parents can relate to that. And I think whatever your longing is inside, that insistence will keep going until it starts to kind of drive you towards making decisions that are just for the sake of doing them rather than the sake of what your ego expects or what people expect or some accolade or achievement. So I think it's allowing people to get in touch with that. We call it a soul whisper. 
because like I said, the ego is loud and the soul is quieter, but it will continue to whisper until one day it becomes a scream and it's saying, please, this is something you want to do. And you've been talking about it for a long time. And that manifests in different ways for people. I, I help people create bucket lists, which are not meant to be grim because you assume we're all going to kick the bucket, I guess. But it's more to really frame it in the brevity of life. You know, what are we waiting for? If there are these things that you want pulling you towards something that you really want to do for yourself, not for your ego, not for the world, not for the job, not for the family, but for you, then it's sort of like helping people frame it that the you time is as important as any other time because you have exactly one life and this is the life you're living, right? So yeah. it's, it's a lot of that. I love that. And it totally hits home for me because before I met you in New York, I was working for a trash hauler for about eight years and, you know, talk about accolades. Like I, you know, was first person in my family to go to college, get an executive MBA I was moving up the corporate ladder. I was working for an awesome company. We were going to get acquired by this big giant where I knew I was going to be able to rock it in that company. And I was engaged. I had a BMW. I had all of these things, but my soul was definitely whispering to me. I was doing everything that I was supposed to be doing. I thought was going to make me happy. And for some reason, it was like, no, this is not your path. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. And I just quit. And I just went and drove for Uber and Lyft and wow. just like scrapped it. And I'm like, well, oh, and I blew up my engagement too. That was great. And you're right. Like that whisper, it will become a scream until you actually do something, you know, you got to do something about it. Right. It's getting yeah. in touch with that. That was a happier version of you, which is more important than what is going to be on a piece of paper. And I think, you know, it's sometimes it takes a tragedy for people to realize that, right? They, they, you know, David Brooks has the book Second Mountain where, you know, you, a lot of times it happens in a later phase of life because you have the wisdom of experience and you sort of have all the accomplishments. So then you can look towards the second mountain. But for some people, a tragedy will shake them out of their skin. Like, what am I doing with myself? You know, we saw it after 9-11. We're seeing it now after mm. COVID. People reframing the way that they're living and the way they're waking up every day and saying, you know, what is it really for? What is this quote accomplishment for? There's a great poem by RJ Hastings called The Station, which is about like, we spend all this time trying to get to the station, waiting to get to the station, you know, and the next station, I'm going to get my Mercedes and the next station, I'm going to get my <laughs> the promotion of my job and the next station, I'm going to have that. And then that house that I've been waiting for, that apartment. And then we forget that the train ride itself between the stations is life, you know? And so yeah. we're just looking forward to the station and focused on that. We're not, we're missing, you know, all the beauty around us and maybe the conversations we could be having or just the, the journey. I love that. So Another thing I really like is what you touched on as well was believe in your confidence. Like, what does this mean when we get truly stuck? I'm a big believer in the universe and that if you go with this soul pull, that soul whisper that we've been talking about, that that's where confidence begins is just trusting that everything's going to be okay. And I think a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, will let the leap of faith, because it's a leap, right? It's a giant yeah. it's a giant leap and it's filled with faith. And so if you don't have faith and you don't have that trust in your own gut, it's going to be a really difficult leap to make. And so it's really getting in touch with your why, your, your purpose. I'm a big fan of meditation. And like I mentioned, I try to help people not to proselytize meditation as much as just to help people really develop a quieter 
connection to themselves that's not about the external world, but more about their awareness. And in that sense of awareness, we often find purpose, right? And in the purpose, it's like, you know, what are, what are we here for and what's my why? And so I think the confidence comes from that place when you know your why, when you get clear with why you're here, everyone's here for a different reason. If you want parenthood to be your driving force and you're spending all your time in the office, but you're not seeing your kids then maybe you'll reframe. Maybe if you want, if you do want to climb up the ladder and that is your purpose, you know, or is it that I wanted to travel more in my life and now it's slipping away. So whatever that is, you often find it when you quiet the mind and listen and tune into the soul. And that's, I think, where confidence begins. A lot of the exercises I do in my course, too, really help people find that why. It's not that you have to sit in meditation all the time. And meditation, I'm talking one minute, three minutes, five minutes. I'm not talking about a formal practice. I'm talking just centering yourself into who you are and what you want to do and go on really a self-discovery journey, which for some people is very scary. But it's very hard to have confidence when you're not in touch with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess it brings me to ask you, like, what it, what is your why? My why is really to help people. When I say get unstuck, it's a very broad term, but I think mm. it's it's more connected to. I've over the years, I've I've understood that play is this concept that is relegated to. And I know you have a four year old, and I worked with newborn to five year olds for years. For fifteen years, I ran this playground that was for newborn to five year olds, and I focused on play through the eyes of a child, right? And writing curriculum, learning through play. That's how kids learn. That's how they learn to make sense of their world, motor development, skills, everything. And before that, I was doing UNICEF work and I was doing sports and play programs in the most remote pockets of the world, including parts of West Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa. And for the five years I was at UNICEF and the 15 years I was at Appleseeds, that play is really the work of children. But I think what I've noticed in my coaching work is that Play is something that we lose, and some people lose it more quickly than others, but we lose as adults. And then we take ourselves seriously and we take our jobs seriously. And I find that like play is actually like I'm writing a book, I'm writing a book right now, and I'm doing a lot of research in the brain science of mm. the importance of play in terms of happiness and optimism and positivity. And I'm not talking about playing in a playground, I'm talking about doing what you love, right? If you're a mover, you need to be maybe hiking on weekends, or if you're an explorer and you're not traveling because of your job, but that's part of how you play. Or if you're a thinker, maybe you need to be diving into a good book and giving yourself the time and space for that. If you're a connector and you need to be having more dinners with friends or getting in touch with old friendships that can revive your sense of energy. So it's really about how do you find flow? Where do you lose track of time? Yeah. And, and going back to the ego, so much of what we do has to have a result or an intention or like a, a sort of an end result or a purpose. And what I love about play is it just for its own inherent value is in and of itself, the experience is worth doing, not for a specific result. And you, there's a freedom from time, which then gives us the sense of conscious awareness that you only can be derived really in when you're in the deep meditation practice where you're not thinking about the past and letting it hold you back and you're not focusing on the future and all the stress and anxiety that comes with trying to predict the future, or the uncertainty, and that you're really just living in the moment and we don't do that enough. And I think play allows us to do that. So my why is really about helping people give themselves permission to play more, to do what they love more, to realize that it's not, I'm not talking about you know, at the expense of work, at the expense of parenthood, I'm talking about in addition to because it makes you more productive at work and because it makes you a more joyful parent, 
partner, spouse, lover, because you become something that shines and radiates positivity. And with that positivity, the relationships around you benefit, the work will benefit, and you feel a more rich life. So I think it's always the thing that's lost for people is the sure. concept of play. And I, I'm doing the work now to understand if it's because we relegate it to the role of a child or whether it's because the world tells us to, but whatever the reasons is, my why is to help people get back to play a lot more than they do and just yeah. you know soak up the beauty of their one life. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. And I think that's why a lot of people, not that this is any way like related, but I think that's why a lot of people really fall in love with like Burning Man. People mm-hmm. like to go and like play. It, it's a whole new like way of playing as an adult. It's very related. It's very related. I think it's a great example, actually. Like when we talk about it's like an adult playground, actually. It's what it is. It's freedom from time. It's freedom from expectations. It's allowing people to just be who they are for once and shed the veil of identities that are thrown onto us and that we put on ourselves and the expectations. And so I think it is a great example, actually, of freedom freedom from, from all of that, you know. I wanted to say, too, before you were mentioning relationships and holding on to them, you know, that story in Afghanistan you mentioned in my bio. What's interesting, there's always these like light bulb moments. And actually before that story, the way I got to UNICEF was when I was in graduate school at Princeton, they asked me to speak, to introduce one of the speakers that was coming to the school. And I prepared my presentation and then I met him and I saw him and I realized I had interviewed him four years earlier for Dateline NBC when I was working in news for the Swiss air crash. He had lost one of his staff members and he had cried in the room. And I asked oh. the cameraman to leave and I asked everyone to leave. And I sort of sat with him and just kind of showed up for him, not as a producer, but as a friend or a person, you know, stranger that would be just listen. And he really appreciated that moment. And little did I know four years later that he'd be speaking at my graduate school <laughs> to ultimately give a talk that led to my internship, that led to my job at UNICEF. So it's just a testament to, and I have a lot of stories like that actually where People weave in and out of your life and you don't know why this tree branch that you're cultivating is there, but I can't tell you, you know, I've had three completely different careers in television at the United Nations and then as an entrepreneur multiple times and in every single transition and every single sort of variation of my life, it comes back to the people I've held on to. Um, through my life. And for some reason, you know, and they're all different that some of them don't know each other. Most of them don't know each other, but there's this this, like energy of networking and connection that happens that is so critical. And I know that that's a lot of what you do and what you talk about. So I wanted to give that story as a, as a real life story of something that changed my life just from a, you know, 20 minute moment that I didn't know would, would really impact my future. Yeah. You know, I interviewed my friend Emily Lakin the other day, and she has a wonderful approach to networking from the viewpoint of creating communities. And she's like, I want to challenge your listeners to think about their networks and think about like, how do those networks not only serve you as an individual, but how can you use those networks to create for the world? Like if you were to actually approach your networking, not from being nervous and scared and all of the like negative disempowering conversations that come with that. What if you just think about like, what can I create for the world with another human being? Exactly. How does that like shift the way that you connect with others? And I was like, dang girl, like you can come on this podcast anytime you want. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. It's like connected energy. We're all connected. We're all sharing the same, so much of the same things in the planet. And in the end, we're all just, just getting to the same place, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Cool. Right. Okay. So my last question is how can people make a conscious choice to make the most out of the one life they've been given? It's a great question. It's very hard. I've yeah. mentioned meditation maybe too often, but I do think coming into conscious aware, I, I don't want to say meditation anymore. I'll talk about mindfulness. Coming into conscious awareness, how often are you in a conversation and you're half listening? Or how often are you in a task and you're distracted, right? And so the distracted nature of our lives is super common and it's totally fine. And this is like normal. Mm. But the, the trick is to come into conscious awareness is to say like, I'm doing this activity. And when we have a mindfulness practice, we can start to do more of that in the day. And so I think making conscious choices, you have to start with from beforehand, which is being conscious and present period. And then you can start to say, okay, I'm going to make a conscious choice and conscious choice. We have choice in everything. And grief is real and tragedy is real and trauma is real. And what's amazing is not so much, it's how people recover from those things, right? To make a choice. And it's also in jobs, like how people make a choice to stay or to leave. It's not easy to leave a good thing, but if it's not serving you or serving your family or serving the needs of your life to make conscious choices. So I think consciousness is really something that to choose a path that's different than the one you're on. It takes strength, it takes courage, it takes bravery. Most of all, it takes vulnerability that maybe it's not exactly some of the stories someone wrote for you or that you wrote for yourself, but you're going to choose something different no matter what's holding you back, whether it's a painful moment or a job that's hard or a relationship that's toxic or and making conscious choices towards that one life. And I think that like going back to the one life and the brevity of life, that's almost how I do it. It's, it's not, again, to be grim. If you look ahead at your older self, you can ask that older self what she or he remembers. And my guess is it's not going to be, you know, some of the more negative things you've experienced in your job or a <laughs> no. conversation, right? The memories that you want to hold later are the ones that you're going to create now. And so you have choices to create those now. And they're the relationships you build. They are the sort of memories you intentionally create or unintentionally create. And so knowing that older self is watching you can sometimes help you make the choice that's best for you consciously. Powerful. That's so powerful. I love that. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I had so much fun with you. Is there anything else, any gems of wisdom that you want to drop on the listeners today before you go? <laughs> no, I just want to say thank you for having me. And I do have a play quiz. So if anyone was interested in the play part, they can go to my website and take a quiz that will help them define their play personality, which we're all a little bit of everything, but I think it's interesting to see it on paper, like, oh, I really am a creator and I should be doing that scrapbook I keep thinking about every night or sort of helping people get there. If anybody would want to work with me, I fall in love with people in like one minute, as you know, I did with you. With <laughs> um, I really love, I love helping people on their journey. So thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And so where can we connect with you? My website is alisonqualter.com. So that's A-L-I-S-O-N-Q-U-A-L-T-E-R.com. And then right there, you'll see the play quiz. You'll see information about my workshop. I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. Any of the ways you can work with me are right there on the homepage. Very cool. Excellent. Well, Allison, thank you again. It's been a pleasure. I love this podcast episode and I know my listeners are going to eat it up as well. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone.